Hello, and welcome to PrimeMed's podcast on heart failure. We welcome Dr. Ty Gluckman. Dr. Gluckman is a medical director at the Center for Cardiovascular Analytics, Research, and Data Science at the Providence Heart Institute. The learning objective of this podcast is evaluate recent evidence on novel medication classes that demonstrate cardiovascular and mortality benefit in patients with reduced ejection fraction. Before we get started, let me remind everyone that this podcast is supported by an independent educational grant from Merck Sharp and Dome Corporation. For more information, please visit the activity page for this podcast on www.primed.com. It's a pleasure to welcome you to this two-part podcast titled Advances in the Management of Heart Failure with Reduced Ejection Fraction. This is part two. My name is Ty Gluckman. I am a clinical cardiologist and medical director of the Center for Cardiovascular Analytics, Research and Data Science at the Providence Heart Institute in Portland, Oregon. By the end of this podcast, you should be able to employ the latest guideline-based medical management of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, or HFREF. As a reminder, in part one of the podcast, we reviewed the epidemiology, prognosis, and cost of heart failure, how it's classified, and the contributing pathophysiological changes. We also discussed the most common pharmacological therapies used to treat stage C HFREF, including ACE inhibitors, angiotensin receptor blockers, beta blockers, aldosterone inhibitors, the combination of hydralazine and nitrate, as well as somewhat newer therapies, including Secubitril Valsartan and Ivabradine. We reviewed clinical trial data supporting use of these agents, current indications, dosing recommendations, contraindications, and additional prescribing guidance. Importantly, we noted that many of these therapies remain underutilized and underdosed, and there is a need to identify ways in which to close these gaps in care. Lastly, we highlighted the importance of care coordination and care pathways to improve heart failure outcomes. In this podcast, we'll further discuss the unmet needs of patients with heart failure. We'll also review three new drug classes with outcomes data in HFREF, SGLT2 inhibitors, soluble guanylate cyclase stimulators, and selective cardiac myosin activators. Unfortunately, the statistics related to heart failure are quite sobering. For those aged 45 years or older, the lifetime risk of developing heart failure ranges between 20 and 45%. As a result, current projections estimate that there will be more than 8 million adults living with heart failure in the United States by 2030. In addition, approximately 1 million hospitalizations for heart failure occur each year in the U.S., with a five-year mortality rate following hospitalization that approaches 75%. Hospitalization in patients with heart failure, though, is much more than an inconvenience. In a cohort study conducted in British Columbia between 2000 and 2004, median survival after the first, second, third, and fourth hospitalization was 2.4, 1.4, 1.0, and 0.6 years, respectively. In short, the more times one is hospitalized, the higher the mortality. Despite tremendous advances in HFREF over the last 30 years, there is still a large unmet need. 
This is illustrated well by the residual risk faced by patients receiving Secubitril Valsartan in the pivotal Paradigm HF trial, where 12-month rates of cardiovascular death and the composite of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure were 6% and 11% respectively. Fortunately, a number of additional treatments for HFREF have been evaluated in just the last two years. The first group of drugs we'll discuss are SGLT2 inhibitors. SGLT2 is a high-capacity, low-affinity transporter in the initial portion of the proximal tubule of the kidney that accounts for 90% of glucose reabsorption. SGLT2 inhibitors promote glycosuria and were initially approved based on their ability to improve glycemic control. A number of additional studies, however, have demonstrated multiple cardiovascular benefits. In a recent meta-analysis evaluating this drug class, treatment with an SGLT2 inhibitor in patients with type 2 diabetes was associated with a significant reduction in major adverse cardiovascular events, cardiovascular death, and hospitalization for heart failure. In fact, this latter effect was independent of whether patients had atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease and or heart failure at baseline. The benefits of SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure are likely the result of various mechanisms. First, they lead to naturesis that reduces plasma volume and lowers cardiac preload. Second, they reduce systolic blood pressure by about four to six millimeters mercury and diastolic blood pressure by about one to two millimeters mercury without impacting heart rate. Finally, they reduce arterial stiffness, lower body weight, and improve endothelial function. To date, two studies have evaluated the impact of SGLT2 inhibitors in both diabetic and non-diabetic patients with HFREF. The first of these is the DAPA-HF trial, which was published in 2019. This study enrolled 4,774 patients with New York Heart Association class 2 to 4 functional status and a left ventricular ejection fraction less than or equal to 40%, randomizing them to dapagliflozin at a dose of 10 milligrams once daily or placebo for a median of 18.2 months. Of note, the mean age of enrolled individuals was 66 years, 23% were female, and 70% were white. About two-thirds of individuals were New York Heart Association Class II, the mean left ventricular ejection fraction was 31%, and only 42% of patients were diabetic. Use of guideline-directed medical therapy was high, with about 95% of individuals receiving an ACE inhibitor, ARB, or angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor, about 96% receiving a beta blocker, and 71% receiving an aldosterone inhibitor. Treatment with dapagliflozin in this study was associated with a highly significant 4.9% absolute reduction in the composite endpoint of cardiovascular death or worsening heart failure. A significant reduction in worsening heart failure, cardiovascular death, and all-cause mortality was also observed among those treated with dapagliflozin. Similar findings were observed among patients with and without diabetes. Finally, adverse events related to volume depletion, renal dysfunction, and hypoglycemia were not different between treatment groups. 
The second of the two trials evaluating an SGLT2 inhibitor in HEFREF is the Emperor Reduced trial, which was published in late 2020. This study enrolled 3,730 patients with New York Heart Association class 2 to 4 functional status and a left ventricular ejection fraction less than or equal to 40%, randomizing them to empagliflozin at a dose of 10 milligrams once daily or placebo for a median of 16 months. The mean age of enrolled individuals was 67 years, 24% were female, and 71% were white. About three quarters of individuals were New York Heart Association class two, the mean left ventricular ejection fraction was 27%, and half of the patients were diabetic. Use of guideline-directed medical therapy in this study was also high, with about 88% of individuals receiving an ACE inhibitor, ARB, or angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor, about 95% receiving a beta blocker, and 70% receiving an aldosterone inhibitor. Treatment with empagliflozin was associated with a highly significant 5.3% absolute reduction in the composite endpoint of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for worsening heart failure. While hospitalization for heart failure was also significantly reduced among those receiving empagliflozin, rates of cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality were not. Similar findings were observed among patients with and without diabetes. Finally, although uncomplicated genital tract infections were more frequent in those treated with empagliflozin, other adverse events including hypoglycemia, lower limb amputation, bone fracture, hypotension, volume depletion, renal dysfunction, and hyperkalemia were no different between the two groups. One should remember that both dipagliflozin and empagliflozin are contraindicated in patients with severe renal impairment and an estimated GFR less than 30 mLs per minute. In addition, patients treated with SGLT2 inhibitors should be closely monitored for hypotension, ketoacidosis, acute kidney injury, hypoglycemia, and urogenital infections. The next class of drugs we'll discuss are soluble guanylate cyclase stimulators. This drug class restores nitric oxide, soluble guanylate cyclase, cyclic GMP signaling, a pathway felt to be important in heart failure. Deficiency in soluble guanylate cyclase-derived cyclic GMP causes myocardial dysfunction and impairs vasomotor regulation that affects the heart's microcirculation. Prior experimental studies have demonstrated that soluble guanylate cyclase stimulators can prevent and potentially even reverse left ventricular hypertrophy and fibrosis. They also reduce ventricular afterload through both systemic and pulmonary vasodilation. Verisiguat is a soluble guanylate cyclase stimulator that enhances soluble guanylate cyclase sensitivity to endogenous nitric oxide while also significantly reducing NT-proBNP levels in a dose-dependent fashion. The only large outcomes trial evaluating a soluble guanylate cyclase stimulator in heart failure is the Victoria trial, which was published in 2020. This study enrolled 5,050 patients with New York Heart Association class 2 to 4 functional status, a left ventricular ejection fraction less than 45%, 
and evidence of worsening heart failure, randomizing them to varisiguat at a dose of 10 milligrams once daily or placebo for a median of 10.8 months. The mean age of enrolled individuals was 68 years, 24% were female, and 64% were white. About 60% of individuals were New York Heart Association Class II, and the mean left ventricular ejection fraction was 29%. Use of guideline-directed medical therapy in this study was also high, with about 88% of individuals receiving an ACE inhibitor, ARB, or angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor, about 93% receiving a beta blocker, and 70% receiving an aldosterone inhibitor. Treatment with varisiguat was associated with a significant 3% absolute reduction in the composite endpoint of cardiovascular death or first hospitalization for heart failure. Rates of cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality were not significantly lower, however. Compared to other HFREF trials, the rate of the primary endpoint was approximately two and a half to three times higher on an annualized basis, reflecting enrollment of a very high-risk population. Finally, although there was no difference in the frequency of serious adverse events between both groups, there was a trend toward a higher rate of symptomatic hypotension and a lower hemoglobin in those treated with varisiguet. The final class of drugs we'll discuss are selective cardiac myosin activators. This drug class increases cardiac contractility by increasing the number of force-generating myosin heads. Because HFREF is defined by a reduction in left ventricular contractile function and an increase in wall stress, it remains to be determined whether improvement in contractile function can prevent or attenuate neurohormonal activation and ventricular remodeling associated with heart failure. Omicamptive mecarbal is a selective cardiac myosin activator that has been shown to improve cardiac performance. The only large outcomes trial evaluating a cardiac myosin activator in heart failure is the Galactic HF trial, which was published in late 2020. This study enrolled 8,256 patients with New York Heart Association class two to four functional status and a left ventricular ejection fraction less than or equal to 35%, randomizing them to omicamptive mecarbal dosed twice daily based on drug levels or placebo for a median of 21.8 months. The mean age of enrolled individuals was 64 years, 21% were female and 78% were white. About 53% of individuals were New York Heart Association class two, and the mean left ventricular ejection fraction was 27%. Importantly, approximately 25% of patients were enrolled as an inpatient. Use of guideline-directed medical therapy in this final study was also high, with about 87% of individuals receiving an ACE inhibitor, ARB or angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibitor, about 94% receiving a beta blocker, and 78% receiving an aldosterone inhibitor. Treatment with omicamptive mecarbo was associated with a significant 2.1% absolute reduction in the composite endpoint of cardiovascular death or first heart failure event. Rates of cardiovascular death and all-cause mortality were not significantly lower, however. Similar to the Victoria trial, 
the rate of the primary endpoint was approximately two and a half to three times higher on an annualized basis, reflecting enrollment of a very high-risk population. Finally, although there was no difference in the frequency of serious adverse events between both groups, there was a higher median cardiac troponin level among those treated with omecamptive macarbol. This was not, however, associated with a higher rate of cardiac ischemic events. In total, data from these studies provide great insight into new ways in which to improve outcomes in patients with HEFREF. None of these therapies, however, have made their way into the guidelines yet. And as of this recording, only dipagliflozin has garnered a heart failure indication specifically to reduce the risk of cardiovascular death and hospitalization for heart failure in adults with class two to four HEFREF. Nonetheless, given the unmet needs of this population, it is exciting to have more therapeutic options to potentially choose from. Thank you. To obtain your CME credit, please visit primed.com and complete a short post-assessment. If you listen to this podcast on another platform, please refer to the episode description where there is a direct link to the activity page on primed.com for claiming CME credit.